If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. Black Tech Green Money isn't just about telling the stories of successful black entrepreneurs. It's also about giving actionable and wealth-building strategies that help you protect the future of our communities. That's why we're pleased to be supported by State Farm Insurance. State Farm also believes that we must invest in our communities to achieve economic growth by sponsoring programs like the AXO, which rewards high school students for their academic achievements. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Black Tech Green Money Season 2, Episode 10. I'm talking with the founders and partners at Collab Capital, an investment fund helping black founders build sustainable, innovation-centered businesses. The partners, Barry Givens, Jewel Burks, and Justin Dawkins, are previous operators and engineers who've raised significant venture capital and successfully sold their companies. I posed the question to the group about an idea that we talk often about in black tech, that we're often too over-mentored and underfunded. With that being true, what still is needed non-monetarily for founders to realize the fullest potential of their startups? Justin Dawkins' partner at Collab Answers. One of the things that is often, just one of many things that's often missing um, is usually promised, which is, oh, we're going to be your partners. We're going to do the things that we need to do to um, sidecar the capital, right, that's going into the business. But the level of intentionality is not always there, which is the, the commitment, the, the willingness to, to get into the weeds. Um, and as experienced operators, all three of us having built different types of businesses and helped to create other types of businesses, we recognize and understand that sometimes the best investors are experienced operators, folks who understand how to kind of get into the weeds, how to identify business models and opportunities and then build out of build out of that experience as opposed to just bringing capital. Uh, and then the other thing is access to, to networks, right? So yeah, business yeah. is still relationship centric. And so no matter how many machines and, and artificial intelligence we put in place, we need relationships and you know two notches above warm intros. We need highly intentional um, relationships that are developed and nurtured. And so there's there's lines of trust so they, that our founders can get into the doors, secure the, the, the conversations that they need to have and get the deals actually done. And so those are the things that we are actually focused on and collab through um, our non-capital um, contributions and investments. I'm Will Lucas, and this is Black Tech, Green Money. I'm going to introduce you to some of the biggest names, some of the brightest minds and brilliant ideas. If you're black in building or simply using tech to secure your bag, this podcast is for you. Sean Mendy is a co-founding partner at Concrete Rose, which invests financial and social capital into exceptional ventures led by underrepresented founders of color, founders addressing the needs of underrepresented consumers of color, and founders with a demonstrated commitment to creating inclusive cultures and building diverse teams. Before VC, he was VP of Development and a member of the Board of Directors at the Boys and Girls Clubs of the Peninsula. So how did he find his way into VC, investing in startups? I asked him about his journey. Yeah, it's a, uh, 
it's more complicated than just what I was doing, you know, right before uh, launching the fund. So long career trying to drive impact and actually so growing up, you know, Magic Johnson was my hero, less for what was happening on the court and more for what he was doing in terms of, you know, changing communities uh, by building businesses, right? Um, and so, you know, planned on doing that. Uh, right out of college, founded a company myself. Simplest way to describe it is is a, a tech-enabled um, diversity recruiting platform. Had some marginal success raising money, some marginal success with users. 08 happens, economy tanks, folks were getting jobs, are getting laid off before they even start. The jobs just don't exist. And, you know, didn't love, you know, basically running an HR firm. Um, so got out of that. And then did some late stage tech uh, or some later stage tech, still still I would be considered early, but later than, than the start, than a, than a previous startup. Um, uh, trying to drive social impact at a company called Causes. It was the first app on Facebook. But I, I've been thinking, you know, tech was a way to drive impact, you know, since I first got out of school. I started working at a boys and girls club accidentally. I grew up in Silicon Valley. I had, you know, friends in all the different neighborhoods that exist here. Uh, I saw, you know, the opportunities that were given to folks depending on zip code, depending on what school they went to, depending on did your companies, you know, did they did they own true equity in Intel and HP and, and, and that Cisco generation of tech companies? Or did you just work there? Or did, were you working at the restaurant that Cisco employees were going to? I saw, I saw all these things happening um, and really, you know, thought, all right, let me let me go. I'm going to volunteer at this Boys and Girls Club. I'm going to meet five black males. I'm going to mentor them and help them get the opportunities I got so that they could end up, you know, participating in what's happening here in a different way than, uh, than they would had there not been this intervention. Somehow the five kids became 50, became 500. And, um, you know, uh, thought, all right, education time, I'm gonna change the world. So, Still like had this, go ahead. No, no go ahead. I wanna let you finish that because you, you pointed out some things I'm gonna come back to, but go ahead and finish. All right, let's, let's come back to that. So really, you know, to, to accelerate the story a bit, um, you know, after thinking I'm going to do education, going and studying ed policy at Stanford, you know, getting an MBA um, and thinking, you know, I'm never coming back to this Boys and Girls Club. The CEO there called me and said, hey, you know, you, you actually ran programs. You developed and designed these programs. Let's scale them now and let's do a campaign to meet the meet the demand in Silicon Valley for all these families and students that are not, you know, not getting getting with they, the resources they need to really participate in what's happening here. So came back, raised. I had a plan to raise ten million dollars in in one year, and ended up raising closer to fifty in four. Um, and in doing that, it was kind of this hack into understanding who in Silicon Valley truly cares about the opportunity gap, who wants to make sure that, that Silicon Valley is a place that is a true meritocracy, and where you know it doesn't matter what family you're born into, you're going to get a shot at, at getting an education and and, and uh, doing what needs to be done to be able to access you know the opportunity in Silicon Valley. And, you know, the chairs of this campaign, you know, we started with Condi Rice chairing the, the campaign. So it was starting with Condi Rice's address book um, and going in and meeting folks with her making the introduction. So we built this incredible network of folks who were, you know, committed to our mission, happened to be running the biggest companies in the world. Um, you know, everybody from Sundar Pichai to Kevin Durant was involved in this organization. Um, and so was able to build really authentic relationships with folks on this important issue. I realized, um, you know, the things that we were addressing were very important to individual lives, 
you're not addressing the root cause of inequality. The root cause of inequality is wealth. Who's had the opportunity to create it? And so uh, four years ago, I started you know, thinking, what can I actually do to address that? I started sharing that vision with the folks that, um, that, uh, that I had met through my previous work. And that's what ultimately led to, to being able to launch Concrete Road. So you, you kind of touched on a couple of things that, that really sparked my interest just now. And, and one of them is that, you know, you were intrigued by people who worked at some of these big companies and they weren't just in the kitchen. Like you grew up in the Bay Area. And so I would imagine and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I would imagine you, you grew up seeing innovation happen very quickly because of the ecosystem. Is that correct? Yeah, I grew up, you know, watching watching families that I knew that I was proximate to doing things that literally were changing the world. Yeah. And it was normal to me. Um, but what was not, what was, it was, what, it was normal to me, but it was, I also was aware that this was not normal, you know, mm -hmm. outside of, outside of Silicon Valley, right? Especially when I, you know, I went to school on the East Coast and folks, you know, you know, my, my, my college roommate was from LA and he was just like LA, you know, you know, the, the typical LA, NorCal, so SoCal rivalry. And he just didn't understand the things that were happening in Silicon Valley. And that's when I realized, all right, this is not, especially folks that aren't aware of the things that are happening here. And we're going to miss out on what's happening if we don't figure out some ways to actually uh, educate folks on what's happening. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. Yeah, so, so digging into that, you know, I, so often we hear that sometimes we don't get the opportunities to engage early enough in you know, these opportunities for innovation because we're not around those ecosystems, yeah. you know, early enough to, number one, appreciate that innovation is happening. Like I grew up again, I grew up in the Midwest. So I grew up in yeah. the people who were working around me were manufacturing cars, you know, and that sort of thing. Yeah. And so I respect that you, you know, you recognize that most of the world didn't see that. I wonder what advantages you think that plays into your psyche today being a black man who grew up in silicon valley or in, in the bay area more broadly how do you think about because you just mentioned the inequality is rooted in wealth that that wealth gap how do you view our opportunity with engaging in innovation in order to create wealth 
when most of us don't grow up like you grew up. Yeah, I mean, even as somebody who grew up here, I still didn't have the risk tolerance that some folks had to be able to take, you know, to do the things that um, that you needed to truly be able to take advantage of of, um, of the opportunities that are happening here. Like I was a founder myself, but I also still had a job. Like I had a part time job that I didn't care about because I needed to be able to to, to eat, right? Um, and when I did start to have some success professionally, it was very hard to you know, eventually break away and go back to essentially being a startup founder when I when I launched Concrete Rose with my partner, right? Um, there was no certainty, no guarantee that it was going to work. Um, and, you know, I would also just to still say that, hey, like, you know, more people know about what's happening in Silicon Valley. I guess it's marginally easier to get involved. There's still, there's still many barriers um, to true participation here. Um, and, you know, in relation to wealth and you know inequality um, and the wealth gap you know i think the wealth gap you know there was absolutely uh, malintent in how the wealth gap was initially created yeah i think there was explicitly discriminatory practices you know there i mean let's go back further 400 years ago anybody who looked like us in this country literally is capital uh, yeah, for the most yeah. part right uh with a few exceptions a hundred years ago you know, the programs, the government run programs that built the middle class, we did not have access to them, whether it's the GI Bill, the Homestead Act, um, access to home loans. And then even, you know, 50 or 60 years ago, places like Silicon Valley were truly forming, you got redlining. And, yeah. you know, we're still even shut out of the, the, the neighborhoods where, uh, where the wealth is truly being created. So it was not, you know, it didn't happen accidentally. It was, it was intentional and it was, you know, uh, it was malicious um, and exclusionary. I think now it's being perpetuated just due to inertia. So I think that um, unless folks are actively creating interventions to intentionally and inclusively build wealth going forward by being more inclusive, by finding ways to bring, you know, folks uh, from diverse backgrounds into the fold earlier, uh, you know, how do we make them employee, you know, six or employee even 60? Um, yeah. So they actually own pieces of these companies that are being scaled. Um, how do we educate folks on how to take the risk to actually do that? How do you get somebody to leave their job at Microsoft, um, you know, to take a lower base salary, but a higher, you know, have higher upside um, in the long run at one of these companies? Those are the things that I'm trying to figure out. And those are the things that we're trying to do at Concrete Rose. And that's the whole, you know, part of the thesis of our fund is that, you know, underrepresented talent is not limited to founders, right? There's a lot of funds who are focused on underrepresented founders, diverse founders. We absolutely look for, for underrepresented founders. Two thirds of our portfolio is black and Latino led, 50% of the fund portfolio is, is women led companies. Um, but what we also really look for is who are the right founders that we should be working with, regardless of their background, who wanna build these diverse teams, who are gonna build the, the biggest companies and how do we partner with them to ensure that they have, that employee number six is a, is a black woman yeah. or employee number 100 is you know, an LGBTQ professional. Um, so. That's, I think, the key is to find the folks who, who care. And I think that the cheat code for me was working on a very local problem with global leaders and knowing, all right, if I go to Jeff Weiner, he's going to care about this at LinkedIn, right? I don't need to convince him. I need to share with him what we're trying to do, and he's going to help me uh, do that. That that was the advantage of being here. And so I'm, I'm going to come back to this idea that you help early stage companies build diverse teams. We're going to come back there. I want to set, you know, more of a foundational um, idea first, a, a foundational concept. And so in founding Concrete Rose, this is a, 
an, an arm of Next Play Ventures, right? And so, Copyrills is is, um, is totally independent of Next Play. We're strategic partners with Next Play. Okay, you're strategic partners. Okay, so you're the founder or one of the you have a partner, correct? Oh, yeah. And yeah, we've got three. When the idea here, as I understand it, was to create a, the social impact affiliate, you know, so you want to focus on those pieces that next play maybe needed assistance or had gaps and maybe yeah. you come in and fill that gap for them. Um, can you define, first of all, social impact from the perspective of venture capital and why it was important for you to why, why were you uniquely situated? to take advantage of this opportunity? Yeah, I mean, I, so I would say one, you know, my experiences growing up here, my experiences working um, in in the communities here that have kind of been left behind, the neighborhoods that have been left behind, or in some many cases driven out, right? Um, the gentrification have given me a unique perspective into uh, what's been happening both locally in Silicon Valley and, and the global impact that Silicon Valley is having. I've understood the wealth being created here, how the cost of living has gone up, how folks, uh, low-income folks, which have mostly been folks of color, have either had to, you know, sell grandma's house and move to to, to Central California or the East Bay, or you know, um, um, or who are living here and are really struggling. So I've, I have that unique perspective, and then I also have the perspective of understanding that the decisions that are made here, the decisions that are made in tech, and when I say Silicon Valley now, I just mean the proverbial Silicon Valley, not. You know, Silicon Valley has a mindset, um, yeah. not necessarily as a geography. Um, you know, it, this Silicon Valley is, is is influencing and building the future. And so I saw a, you know, there were some personal experiences I had with friends, with folks who are leaders at some of the most influential companies in the world, where I literally could see decisions that they were making impacting, like, geopolitics. Mm. <laughs> I could see them, you know, decisions being made at some of these, you know, fan companies, um, in, in good and bad ways, uh, you know, impacting the world. And so that to me was like, was a, was an exclamation point on the importance for having diversity at these, uh, these massive companies. If you don't have diversity in these rooms, you are just not making the best decisions, right? Um, you need, you know, you need different perspectives. You can't have group think you can't, you, know, you, need, you need to have different life experiences informing, um, you know, the decisions that you're making in these companies. So. That, that was the perspective that I brought was understanding the wealth being created, understanding the impact that we were having globally by decisions being made in Silicon Valley. Um, you know, in terms of being an impact fund. So, uh, you know, my partnership with, with Jeff um, and Next Play Ventures, you know, I had worked with Jeff on the local issue. Um, I told him that I thought I saw a way for us to create a fund that would be impacting the racial wealth gap um, and bringing more diversity in, into tech. The way that we think about social impact is actually less about being an impact fund that invests in, you know, companies that are focused on ed tech or climate or, I mean, we have companies within our portfolio that, that fall into both those buckets. Um, but it's actually more about um, investing in uh, great companies and encouraging them and partnering with them uh, to, to be more inclusive, right? So. Uh, whether it's you know uh, uh, investing directly into underrepresented founders, obviously that's going to be you know impactful and that's going to generate wealth for underrepresented folks. But also, if we're investing in companies uh, that have founders who may not be underrepresented themselves, but if we can help the next Stuart Butterfield of Slack 
build a company and hire black women, at, you know, as the first 20 employees uh, or within the first 20 employees, like that's going to also uh, generate wealth for that group. Um, the next thing that we've actually done is we've pledged 50% of our carry to our sister uh, Concrete Rose Community Foundation. The foundation funds uh, innovative solutions uh, addressing racial inequality across the country. So we have a broad uh, vision for where the foundation will ultimately go. We've narrowed it down to start with organizations that are focused on education or employment um, as, as a starting point for phase one. Um, but we've already actually have some, some resources that we're deploying there at part of great organizations like Color Wave and Color Stack and Dev Color and Management Leadership for Tomorrow, Harlem Children's Zone, um, and are really trying to catalyze uh, more innovation by those nonprofits and with those leaders, and then also connect it to industry and to tech. So we're creating this community that's going to be impactful both through the companies that we invest in and the way that wealth is created, but then also, by the way, we're explicitly funding uh, social impact through the nonprofit partners that we put in. State Farm Insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State Farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future, building off the hard work our parents have done before us. We all are looking to create generational wealth so that our families and generations behind us have a better starting point than we did. That begins with financial literacy. State Farm helps fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of black and brown youth. To date, participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarships offers as a direct result of contributions from State Farm. At Eating Walbroke, we hear inspiring rags to riches stories on each episode from our guests, but with State Farm, you can begin to write your own success story. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You know a spot, but not just a spot, the spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots? Being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the One Million Black Businesses Initiative. The One Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale one million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field, from free business coaching to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify's made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The 1 million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. So chart your own path for business success with the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. 
Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. So I want to pick up something you just said, because if, if I heard you correctly, you're not particularly focused on a specific vertical like gaming or healthcare, et cetera. How, and if, if that's correct, how can you build a a domain expertise if you think you need it in order to be able to make good bets. Yeah, I think we need to be smart. We need to understand anything we're investing in. Uh, we're generalists for, for um, a reason that's consistent with our mission, right? So we want to invest in underrepresented founders as often as possible. Um, and, you know, due to kind of the compounding inequality, the compounding um, lack of access uh, for folks of color, um, we, we didn't see a critical mass of, you know, founders in one specific vertical. We thought, let's, let's keep our optionality. Let's see what's actually out there in the ecosystem. Let's help develop the ecosystem. Um, what we did do is we raised our fund from some of the, you know, the, the most successful operators and investors um, in tech and venture. And we engaged them both in how we're sourcing and diligencing companies and also supporting them post-investment. And so if you, you know, run an enterprise, tech company, um, I'm going to engage Xander Lurie, the CEO of, of Serving Monkey Now Momentum, or Mikel's Vein at, uh, at Zendesk, or Smith formerly of Intuit, um, and I'm going to uh, you know, engage them as supporters of, of what you're doing, either strategic advisors, mentors, um, you know, making customer introductions, making talent introductions. So we've got this, this we'll call the Concrete Rose Network that we leverage that I think gives us a major competitive advantage. The social capital that comes from that network is really, uh, you know, critical to the success of, of any founder, uh, but specifically the Concrete Rose founders that we've had. So to answer your question explicitly, no sector, like no sector focus. We won't invest in a sector that we can't learn and understand. But we also leverage these operators and investors to really, you know, to, to bolster uh, the support for the companies that we do invest in. Do you find yourself at any re regular interval being first money in? You know, one thing that we actually really like to do is, um, you know, kind of punch above our weight. So, you know, we started with a, a $10 million proof of concept fund is what we, what we went out. Uh, the funds ended up being 25 million. Um, but at the, but when we started investing from it, we figured it would be 10 million. And so we got allocations that were bigger than what we would, uh, we would, we were able to take. Um, and so we actually went to that network and thought who would strategically be helpful to these companies. So one example is a company called Asusu. Um, they're a, a, um, a company that, that, that uh, allows consumers to build credit scores by paying their rent. They actually don't sell the credit mm -hmm. to consumers, they sell directly to property owners. They have some incredible partnerships and the founders are amazing. Um, met the founders, it was very early, um, and actually, you know, only invested, uh, well, invested a, a fourth of the amount that we actually accounted for when we, when, we, when we consider who we brought in as strategic investors alongside of us. And so that's how we like to make rounds happen, so we'll come in with other folks that we've that we have pulled in historically that's what we um, moving forward we're you know we're actually looking to be first money in in, in more situations um, it has typically been uh, we've gotten serious about that with founders who are repeat founders who something we can underwrite um because uh, it's very hard to to invest um, in somebody that has no track record and um you know isn't hasn't built anything yet isn't isn't out selling anything yet um but we're open to it like there's there's no uh we don't have a hard and fast rule of, of, uh, of being too early. Uh, you know, yeah. 
Yeah, they're on, on your website, it talks about um, you wake up every day excited to meet brilliant entrepreneurs and leaders with ambitious plans to build the future. Um, speaking on yep. the, the train of thought you were still on, you were just on, how do you balance ambition as a VC with working to make also smart bets? Because, you know, if you could reconcile for me, often smart bets, you know, if you think about smart bets and ambition, sometimes ambition flies in the face of logic. Yeah, I think there's there's such thing as, as rational ambition uh, and it can manifest itself in the form of, of, of vision, the big vision. Um, you know, we don't want to invest in founders who want to build nice businesses that make $10 million a year in perpetuity and, you know, maybe $2 million of that is profit. Um, so that's a very nice life. And that's, you know, that, that, that is a, a successful business. That's not a venture scalable business. Um, so we're looking for folks who, who you know, you know, do, uh, you know, have that broad vision, but can also kind of see the forest through the trees, right? Um, are you pragmatic and do you have, can you actually operationalize that vision is the way that we really think about it. So I think we'll underwrite for both. Are you somebody who thinks big, but are you also somebody who gets things done and understands how to prioritize and how to, you know, um, how, to, how to have a process? Uh, so I, I, that's actually not very difficult, I don't think. I think it's more, and I think it would be more of a, um, uh, of a way to confirm that we'd be out on something is if, if the founder is not, we don't see that, see any signals of this founder thinking very big and, and, and being ambitious. I don't think it's got the problem in, in the reverse. Yeah. When you were talking about, you know, helping startups develop diverse teams, how I translated that, and you can correct me if any part of this doesn't make sense to what actually is reality. What I, what I understand then is you know, this is not like we're not investing in, you know, white male Stanford dropout, you know, companies, but we're also yeah. really emphasizing that, hey, white male Stanford dropout, you know, that there are some really qualified people who may be from, you know, underserved, under-resourced communities who are talented, have skills, and you can contribute to the growth of your enterprise. And that's important to you. So how... Yeah. Often, though, when entrepreneurs come to VCs, they just want the money, like give me the money, probably a little bit of your network. And how do you hold them accountable to that? If you can hold them accountable to diversity at its core. There's three kinds of founders that we're looking at back. One, we're looking at back talented, underrepresented founders. Um, and then we are looking to and we focus on black and Latino founders. We 50 percent of our portfolio is women founders, but we are explicitly going out and looking um, to fund racially underrepresented founders. Um, and we, we pour social capital into them through that concrete rails network that I've referenced. Next, we're looking for founders who are building to meet the needs of underrepresented consumers. And they don't need to explicitly be building solely for underrepresented consumers, right? So you don't need to be building FinTech products for Latino families. If you're building a sustainability or climate tech startup, that's interesting to us. And we actually wanna, you know, we wanna influence companies to be building um, in a way that does benefit underrepresented consumers, right? Given, especially in some, a space like climate tech, um, you know, who's going to be affected by climate change first is, is people of color, right? Um, because of some historical things that have happened. Um, the final, you know, focus area that we look at is founders of all backgrounds um, who uh, have a deep and authentic commitment to building inclusive organizations and diverse teams. So, you know, you referenced, you know, Stanford, you know, white male Stanford uh, dropout. We actually haven't invested in any white male Stanford dropouts. We've invested in white male Stanford business 
school graduates who have, you know, who are the most overrepresented, right? Like experience at like Amazon, McKinsey, and private yeah. equity. Yeah. It's literally back to team of three white guys coming out to every business school with that background, right? Um, what we're looking for is folks who um, understand the value of diversity to business outcome. So we underwrite for this. We, we, we have many conversations with folks. Uh, we have to see a demonstration of an understanding of, hey, I want to build a diverse team, not, not purely because I want to be altruistic, not purely because you know I'm a progressive and, and I die, you know and, and I and I want to you know see a rainbow coalition. It's because I understand my business is going to be better by having a diverse team, by having the perspectives of uh, of a diverse group of people working on this problem. Second, we're looking for some actual demonstrated commitment of that. That could look like you know we have one founder who has explicitly as their third you know third or fourth hire hired a you know, diversity manager from Facebook and said, I did that because I want somebody building these programs in my, my company early and she's going to lead my HR function. But that was important. That's a very, it's very tied to business. That's very, it's a very easy to draw a straight line there. We've also backed a founder who, um, you know, his college thesis on access to AP and IB courses for underrepresented students. Um, and that was how, that was how we checked that box of, right, this founder actually cares about, uh, authentically cares about diversity, has a real interest there. I mean, understands uh, the importance of it. Then um, the last thing we do is actual reference checks. This is this is prior to investing, of course, um, where we actually look for inclusive behavior. Uh, we look for coachability. You know, uh, the way that we're going to be working with these founders, we're going to ask them to do some things that are not always intuitive, and that might make them feel like, hey, you're kind of slowing me down a bit. If we're saying, all right, you've posted this role, you know, the candidates that you're looking at are all folks that you've been friends with for for ten years uh, from your social networks. Let's go find a couple of candidates from outside your immediate network because that's where you're going to actually find, you know, find, um, you know, more, more, uh, more uh, diverse candidates, right? Um, and so we need to see that coachability as well. Post investment, we're ensuring that we have quarterly touch points with folks um, where we're actually, you know, engaging them with programming that helps them actually walk the walk around defining core values in a way that's inclusive, living your actual values in the way that you actually behave and operationalizing that those those values within your company um, uh, processes and systems, right? So we don't. There's no scorecard that we're holding up. We're not because you're never going to be done. This is something that's dynamic, and you're going to always be working on. But as we onboard companies into our portfolio, they understand all the things that we offer, and then we are ensuring that monthly and quarterly we are engaging them on these things, and then and we're using kind of our judgment on when we should lean in more, when we should lean in less. And the thing that's that's been very exciting for us is. I think we've made uh, eight or nine investments in that third focus area. So folks who are not underrepresented themselves want to build diverse and inclusive teams. Um, and we have had no problem having them, you know, you know, be thirsty for the engagement and looking to us for guidance, reaching out to us and being somewhat demanding in terms of what we're offering. So I have an incredible colleague, Denai Sterentall, um, who leads the coaching of CEOs. I have another incredible uh, partner. Jason Norman, who's leading the, the talent uh, sourcing for those organizations, but um, but uh, you know it hasn't been a problem in terms of holding folks accountable. They want it. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of Black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, 
a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements. Along with funding programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. There was... um. In reading your story, I mean, you're from the Bay Area, you're investing in the Bay Area, and I'm super interested in your take on this because, as, as you know, that technology development is becoming more geographically dispersed. There was um, a yep. research thing that came out, I think it was in QZ a couple of days ago, and um, a VC friend of mine had posted it on Twitter, and it was talking about how the change in the number of tech workers, like where they're moving to, and like San Francisco was like the last place losing population and like places like Miami, Atlanta, Houston are severely increasing in where tech workers are moving. What does that mean to you from both an investor's perspective, someone who's investing in Silicon Valley and as a man who wants to see more black people in this business? taking advantage of this wealth generation opportunity. Yeah, so the, 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 when, we, when we stood up our firm, you know, we knew we would get access to great deals because of who our LPs are, the network that we've built over, over you know, decades, um, you know, working, working in, this, in, this, uh, in this geographic location. Um, but we also realized that, um, you know, leveraging a Silicon Valley network to find underrepresented talent is, is not going to, <laughs> going to work. Um, just because of the way the networks work and a homogenous network is going to be yet a homogenous network, right? So we explicitly built a scout program um, that we, I'm actually not allowed to call it a scout program, we called it an ambassador program, uh, to, you know, our, our lawyers gave us that guidance, where we found folks outside of the Bay, in places like Chicago and St. Louis and, you know, uh, and New York and Texas and, um, and, uh, and D.C. Um, and you know, these are folks who are already plugged into tech and venture in those areas, but they weren't attached to firms. Um, and we gave them kind of the, the, you know, the title of an ambassador and gave them some training um, and they sent us deals. And uh, I think a combination of that 
Um, and this, you did this for the purpose of finding, you know, a more diverse set of entrepreneurs to, to invest in. Um, a combination of that plus, you know, four months into the life of our firm, you know, shelter in place happening. Um, as of our last, the end of the last quarter, over 80% of our portfolio was outside of the Bay Area. Wow. And uh, so I think combination of Zoom meetings plus the effectiveness of this ambassador network, um, which we have some exciting things happening with that that I, you know, that I've, I will share with you first uh, uh, once, we're, once we're ready to announce it. Yes. Um, so we haven't had a problem. I think we actually, our two most recent investments are ones in Menlo Park and ones in San Francisco. So that number will, will tick down a bit, still overwhelmingly spread across the country. And I think that speaks to the point that, you know, talent is everywhere. I think um, because of the, the acceleration of technology and new innovations in technology, it's also cheaper and you're able to do things outside of the Bay that you've never been able to do. Um, so I think we got to keep, you know, if we're only looking in Silicon Valley, we're not going to find you know, those overlooked founders that we're looking for. We're not going to find the, 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 the deal that should be more competitive than it is, but because of where it is geographically, we're able to get in at a, at a price that we like and really make a difference for that founder. Um, so, so it's imperative that we're looking outside of the bay. You know, you had touched on just really briefly that you're not specifically looking for technology or products or businesses that are trying to build for black audiences, but maybe leverage the diversity, the, the conversation that we bring, the perspective that we bring. And I yeah. wonder, because there are so many times when, when we build companies, we get pigeonholed into, are you building, you know, the next hair care company? And that's okay, but we get pigeonholed into these verticals. I wonder from your perspective yeah. as a VC and somebody who's seen innovation happen, you know, faster than most people because of the where you grew up, I wonder if you see where the black perspective could be more amplified in enterprise startup, you know, development in sectors that are not traditionally black, but where we could have a unique value proposition to play in. I think it's every sector. I think there's some, there's some where it's, it's explicit, um, you know, uh, health tech, we should definitely be, be leaning in there. I think, you know, uh, black and brown and, and women's health has been underinvested in and there has been a lack of focus there. Um, so I think that that's a very obvious one, right? Even, you know, one of our early investments was in a company that, um, that was focused on, on um, you know, they're optimizing uh, birth control. So they're helping women find the right birth control through a DNA um, and a hormonal test, at-home test that you would do. Um, but the broader vision is to use the data that's being collected to actually to build uh, more diverse and inclusive data sets that can be used to, to drive healthcare um, solutions. Um, just because most clinical trials and most, most healthcare studies historically have been over-indexed to white men and women, right? And so there's all these, there's all this data that's just is missing for, for folks who, who don't fall into that, that category. And so and there's, that's really important for us to be building in that space um, and to be influencing that space. Just really, it's important to our lives, right? Um, then there's other, you know, spaces like FinTech and, um, and where, where it's also kind of a straight line that you can draw there. But really, I think every sector, man, like there's, you know, life experience informs expertise and and and, um, and outlook. And the more perspectives you can get in a room that are not the same, the better that you know, the more magic's going to happen. The better outcomes you're going to have. So I can't, you know, I wouldn't limit it to one sector. I think every sector, from health tech and ed tech to enterprise tech, 
um, could use diverse perspectives. And I'm interested in seeing um, diversity in all the areas. Black Tech Green Money is a production of Blavity Afrotech on the Black Effect Podcast Network and iHeartMedia. It's produced by Morgan DeBond and me, Will Lucas, with additional production support by Love Beach and Marissa Lewis. Special thank you to Micah Davis, Adam Sims, and Sakara Savanyan. You know, like the wine? Yes, that's his real name. Learn more about my guests and other tech disruptors and innovators at afrotech.com. The video version of this episode will drop to Black Tech Green Money on YouTube next week, so tap in. Enjoying Black Tech Green Money? Leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. Go get your money. Peace and love. State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help with funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions.